Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. In today's show, we've got all the latest from all the midweek League Cup action with Aberdeen, Cali Thistle and Ross County all in midweek action. Aberdeen's women have had a wee bit of an indifferent start to the season and we've also got the latest from the lower leagues with Cove Rangers, Peterhead and Elgin City. I'm Jamie Durant, sitting in for Ryan Cryle this week, who's off sunning himself on holiday, and I'm joined by Sophie Goodwin and Danny Law. So we'll move straight on to the midweek knockout action. And uh, first of all, we'll start with Aberdeen's trip to Galabank to face Annan Athletic. Uh, it was a bit of a scare for the Dons. Um, they were taken to extra time by the League Two side before triumphing 4-1. Danny, was it maybe a little bit more... Difficult than the Dons would have expected? Oh, no, it was, it was never in doubt, was it? <laughs> I mean, I think it's, it's a slight bit of a cliche, but there is a, an element of already a kind of slight Jekyll and Hyde element maybe to Aberdeen in that, you know, they've either looked really, really good in games or they've struggled. Um, and I must admit, I I didn't think for a second um, that Aberdeen were going to do anything other than, you know, enjoy a comfortable win. Um, so I, I was thinking, you know, it'd be a 4 0, 5 0 back up the road. And um, I just thought Aberdeen would have far too much firepower um, in their squad. So um, as I was saying to my dad uh, yesterday, just wasn't mentally prepared for um, a game like that in extra time and the potential of, you know, all the fallout there would have been if Aberdeen had gone out of um, a cup competition to Annan Athletic. Um, but I mean, I guess in the end, I think the superior fitness levels and the quality told, but it was yeah far more of a struggle than I anticipated it would be. Well, what was uh, what was Law Senior's uh, assessment of the game? Oh, I think similar. I think I think I think everyone would have thought going going into that one that it was going to be, you know, quite a comfortable one. I mean, and, and Athletic haven't have been struggling in League Two, so yeah. But I mean, it's always a ground that's as far away as, as you can really get um, in, Scot- in Scottish terms and um, in you know tight pitch, a slightly different challenge for the Aberdeen players, I guess, but but you'd you know still expect that's a that's a tie that's um, that should have been a comfortable victory and it could have been a really you know embarrassing one for Aberdeen, but that potential banana skin and um, humiliation was avoided and in the end, you know a four one victory, albeit after extra time it, it does you know, it looks maybe more comfortable than than it would have felt on the evening, but um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, there was you know chances at the end that had they gone in, it could have been you know a massive upset. So I'm um, sure you know Jim Goodwin and the players were very relieved to get through that one. I think Sophie, you know what we normally find with with cup football, it's the, not necessarily the performance that that matters too much. It's literally just about the result and making th- sure you're through to the to the next round. Yeah, I think so. I think you know it's cliche is it but it's the magic of the cup anyone can kind of be anyone you know it's what managers say you can you want consistency over 20 odd league games but on the night of a cup game anything can happen and yeah I think like Danny said you would have maybe expected them to have gone down there and won quite comfortably which they obviously did in the end it took took two hours to do it but um I think yeah they're they're through to the next round that's all that matters but yeah it could it could have been a, a, a disappointing one for Jim Gooden and then obviously got Partick Thistle at, at home in the in the last state as well, which is probably out of out of any of the draws that they could have got, it was probably would have been the one that they'd they'd have been hoping for. Yeah, I think I think so, hundred percent. Albeit uh, Partick Thistle have started the season very strongly, and 
you know, there won't be any underestimating them or any complacency. But I mean, when you look at the the other teams, that I mean, first off, you want to obviously avoid going to Celtic Park or Ibrox, um, but to you know to get a, a team that's in a different league from you um, in the Championship to play at Pataudry, you know, real real prospect of a um, you know, a semi-final at, at Hamden is, is on the horizon, but I'm sure that'll be a difficult match when it comes around. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's the perfect draw, the one that you'd have wanted. And we've seen this morning, Danny, as well. See, with it being transfer deadline day, there's obviously going to be news and rumours and speculation and whatnot circling. And the main one that obviously we've kind of seen on Thursday morning was Christian Ramirez to, to Hearts. I mean, is it one that seems like it kind of seems to fit given how kind of far he's kind of fallen down the pecking order at uh, at Pitodri this summer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jim Goodwin's been quite open about saying that Ramirez and David Bates, you know, are two players who would want to be playing first-team football and at the moment they don't really appear to be in his plans. And Ramirez obviously had a, a very good season at Aberdeen, first season in Scottish football. Um, you can understand why a club like Hearts, who um, are short of striker following, you know, bad injury to Liam Boyce, they're desperate to bolster their attack and Ramirez is a you know proven scorer in the Scottish Premiership he would you know enhance most squads in that division I, I guess the difficulty for Aberdeen is you know loaning a player in a player that you know is a quality player that will score goals in the league to a rival and I mean it's going to be one of them I mean if the move goes ahead if Aberdeen were to be losing games and Ramirez is scoring goals at Hearts then it's you know it's a difficult it's a difficult one. So I would imagine that, you know, Aberdeen's preference would be if Ramirez was to move on for him to be going to a different league. But, you know, that, that might be the only option or the best option um, for all parties. So, um, yeah, I mean, fascinating to see how that one plays out over the course of the day. Do you think do you think the Aberdeen squad needs strengthening anywhere or because of the kind of the, the sheer number of players that they brought in over the summer, it's probably wise just to kind of let that settle a little bit and kind of bed these guys in for a few months? I, I mean, I think that the issue that you've seen in the past couple of matchday squads is that, you know, the squad's too big just now. You're, I mean, you've got quite a big bench and you're leaving players off that bench. And I mean, I think Jim Goodwin's, you know, on record is saying that he doesn't like working with a, a huge squad because, you know, you get, I mean, then you're dealing with players who are frustrated because, um, you know, you're leaving them out of the matchday squad and can be, you know, you know, mentally tough for some players if they're, you know, dealing with that, especially if there's someone that thinks they should be in the starting eleven, and that can cause issues for a manager and the rest of the club. So, you know, you want to have a squad there where everyone, you know, feels involved, feels like they're playing their part. And and Aberdeen have brought in a, a lot of players, but um, you know, they want to balance the books as well by getting getting some out. I mean, I think I mean it sounds like there's still a possibility that if the if the right player turns up, then you know, there could be more additions, but at the moment, I think probably the the priority is um, is also on more on departures um, at, at this stage. Um, but, you know, we've all seen on deadline day, um, all sorts of things can happen. And um, sometimes when you're expecting quite a quiet window, it can be um, really busy. And the same that sometimes we've had, you know, quite a few deadline days with, um, with Aberdeen recently where, we expected a huge influx of signings and that hasn't materialised. And so I know that, you know, a lot of managers have found um, this window quite difficult to recruit because teams have been holding on to players because they're allowed to use more substitutes because they're allowed more players on the bench. It's becoming, you know, more 
you know, more difficult to sign. So, yeah, it's going to be, there's a lot of clubs that are desperate to get players in, um, but Aberdeen aren't, aren't really in that position just now. You know, they've got a squad that I think Jim Goodwin is you know, reasonably happy with. Elsewhere in the in the League Cup during the week on Wednesday night, um, Ross County were in action in Dingwall and they were beaten 4-1 at home by Celtic. Um, Sophie, was this just pretty much about as tough a draw as County could have got, on the, particularly on the back of Celtic putting nine past Dundee United at the weekend? Yeah, I think so. I think, like Danny said earlier, with Aberdeen's quarterfinal draw, you always want to avoid Rangers and Celtic in the Cup, don't you? I think... It's, it's just one of those games where you just kind of accept what you've got and kind of give it your best shot. And I think seeing what Malky said, I think, you know, they may, they did do that. They obviously got the goal back. I think it's the first goal that a team scored against Celtic in Scotland this season, which, um, you know, it's quite impressive um, for Ross County, I suppose, and for Celtic that they've not conceded domestically yet. But it's, yeah, it's a terrible time to play Celtic off the back of a 9-0 win. You know, they've all been full of confidence you know, a team that's away to play Real Madrid next week. It's um, It was always going to be tough. And yeah, you do feel for County because, you know, the odds are against them before they even kick a ball, really. Absolutely. And I mean, the County have kind of got to try and take as many positives from uh, from that as they can, I suppose, and say getting getting the goal and um, kind of making a little bit of a fist of it for a while is probably is probably about as, uh, as good as they could hope for in this situation. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, a good performance, obviously. You know, good performances don't really mean much if you don't win in the end and especially in the cup you're obviously wanting to progress but you know they're maybe haven't had the ideal start in the league so maybe a decent performance against Celtic can can really kick them on and hopefully maybe ignite something um, for them uh, in the league as well. The other Highland club in action on Wednesday was Cali Thistle uh, who were beaten 4-0 at Motherwell uh, thanks to a Kevin Van Veen hat-trick. Uh, Inverness were blown away in the first half with Kind of Van Veen scoring twice and Danny Devine turning into his own net. And then Van Veen got his second penalty to complete his hat-trick in the second half. Uh, there were some cheap goals given away and Inverness probably didn't give them give themselves much of a, of a chance in that first half. But they were furious with some of the decisions given by referee Clevin Clancy, particularly the, the second penalty against uh, David Carson. as They felt that he'd missed two fouls in the build-up to the goal against Wallace Duffy and by Carson. And then it was seemed to be a fairly innocuous handball given against Carson um, for the spot kick itself. You can obviously kind of pinpoint that as well and say that there, weren't, there were some decisions that probably weren't helpful. But if you're going to concede goals like that, Danny, and, and against premiership opposition on the road, you, you're going to leave yourself a mountain to climb. Yeah, and I think as well, um, there's a slight confidence issue um, with Cali Thistle just now. They haven't necessarily started the the season as well as they would have liked um and i think you know once they've conceded those goals they probably felt you know there's no way back into it it's it's difficult to you know pick yourself up after that when you don't feel that you're in the best of form um so it's a slightly you know i mean too early to say that it's a worrying time um but um they're obviously you know they're missing a few players through injury but um it's it's not been a kind of a, a great period just now and I think you know Cali Thistle made a great start to last season they would have wanted to have done the same sort of thing again um, this time around but finding it slightly more difficult um, but um, yeah I mean they would have liked to have gone you know to the next round of the cup and to have kept that going but um, the league's obviously the big focus um, for them so um, I mean they'll be hoping that you know Wraith Rovers this weekend that they can you know get back on form and put that result behind them 
Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all kind of heading there on Saturday, struggling a wee bit for, for numbers as well. They're only na- able to name five substitutes on on Wednesday night, and they're already already without Austin Samuels, Max Ram, uh, George Oakley wasn't involved, Sean Welsh and Tom Walsh, and then Roddy McGregor went off injured as well. So there may be one or two walking wounded there heading to heading to Starks Park on Saturday. Um, and then our other two sides will be meeting each other. Um, Ross County and Aberdeen will uh, will face up. I suppose after the kind of the results of the past week, um, things are maybe looking a bit more rosier for the Dons heading into that one. You, would you think, given that they've they've managed to put a few goals away um, against Livingston and against Annan, then maybe County, who've kind of obviously had a couple of difficult results? Yeah, but I, I think I think Ross County are in a you know a bit of a false position because if you look at you know their stats and how they've played in games, how they've performed. Um, it feels like, and even against Celtic, you know, there were positives that Malcolm Kai would have been able to take out of that game. So although Ross County, in terms of the points that they've gained so far this season, the results that they've had, it doesn't look amazing. I do think that, you know, behind that, there have been good performances this season. So I think Aberdeen will be expecting a, a very tough game. It's normally a tough venue for um, the Dons. And I think that, you know, Ross County are probably only, you know, like a one good result and everything's probably might, you could see it clicking and them going on a good run. Um, so Aberdeen will be hoping from their perspective that doesn't happen this weekend. Um, and I mean, the other thing with Aberdeen as well, obviously they've had quite a long, a long trip midweek, but they'll, you know, they had that extra day to recover. Um, and yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see sort of, Who's in who's in both squads by the time that game comes around? Um, you know, could be some new faces involved, um, but I think that's got the the makings of a really um, a really intriguing game and probably one that's you know quite difficult to call because they're two sides that you're not really too sure what you're going to get from at the moment in different form, um, but you know, makings of a good game. Well, that's it for part one of this week's episode of Northern Goal. In part two, we'll move on to the fortunes of Aberdeen women. Welcome to part two of this week's episode of Northern Goal, and we're going to move on to Aberdeen women, who have had a kind of a little bit of an indifferent start to to life in ASWPL this season. Sophie, you've you've kind of watched them several times, have been on the beats with them for a, a while. I mean, do you feel they'll be a little bit disappointed with how with how the season started? It's difficult because I think they will be disappointed that they haven't picked up their first win yet, considering that. Out the first four games to the teams they beat all three fixtures last season and um, they beat Hamilton three times and beat Partick three times so and they got beat by Hamilton on the opening day and then they drew with Partick to all at Balmoral Stadium so I think they'll be disappointed that they haven't got that three points yet but I think you kind of have to look at it from a, a different perspective in that Hamilton have improved since last season they're a team that really came on near the end of the league and um, they finished bottom they're only still in this league because of the restructuring moving to the SPFL but I mean they've already won two games um, and are just one off their total wins from last season having only won three um, the whole last last campaign so in Partick Thistle they're always a tough game um, I think you watched Aberdeen women play Partick last season and the games that I've seen them play is I think it was 2-1 and then 2-0 it's always a close game Partick are really physical really scrappy kind of really just want to dig out the points as best as possible so 
I think they'll be disappointed that they didn't take points from that game. Um, I think Aberdeen were, were probably the better side um, in the first half especially and then they kind of just trailed off a wee bit but the fact it took Partick a penalty to kind of get back on level terms and then Aberdeen missed like three good chances in the last five, ten minutes. I think Ailey Shore hit the bar and Chloe Gover and Bailey Collins both had both had shots on target that maybe they should have done a wee bit better with but it's... Um, it's early days yet, you know. It's a, I think it's a thirty-two game season this year with the split. It's only four games in, but obviously, you know, you're wanting to get your your three points sooner rather than later. They've also played Glasgow City and, and Rangers as well. I mean, which would be two of the most difficult games of any season for for any of the sides in the SWPL. And it's kind of been contrasting fortunes, I suppose. I mean, the Rangers one was obviously a bit of a chastening afternoon for them, um, kind of getting beat as heavily as they did. Um, but then there were kind of a lot more. Encouraging signs um, going down to, to Glasgow City um, in, in that performance, would you say? Yeah, I think they'll be disappointed that they didn't come away with points at um, Peters Hill Park, which I think in itself is kind of a sign of maybe the progress that Aberdeen women have made since the start of last season. Um, they they went behind in the 13th minute through an own goal that was really unfortunate, came off of Bailey Hutchinson's head. And then I think, you know, to go down there... Going into this game, Glasgow City had scored 15 goals in their first three league games of the season, put seven past Dundee United, put seven past Spartans on the opening day. To go down there and for Aberdeen not to concede four or five goals is impressive in itself. And then to go in and to get one all and score your first goal that any team has scored against Rangers, Celtic or Glasgow City this season, Francesca Ogilvie uh, equalised for the Dons. In itself, another really impressive thing to do against, you know, the 15-time league champions. So, unfortunate to end up, you know, getting beat 2-1. But I think in itself, there are so many positives to take away. And I know, you know, Gavin Beath and Emma Hunter, they always say after these games, there is positives to take away. Because there are, these are the games that you want to be playing against, like Glasgow City and Rangers. And even if it is an 8-0, you do learn things, you know how to cope against these professional teams. But for me... What Aberdeen have done with this 2-1, and I know it's just one game out of however many there is, over the course of the season but they've shown that they can compete with these teams they can go toe-to-toe with these teams and while there is a gulf and there's always going to be a gulf until Aberdeen decide to invest more in their women's team and make them full time that Aberdeen's aim is to be competitive against these teams and now that they've shown it doesn't always have to result in score big score lines I think the 8-0 against Rangers yeah it was tough and you know it was back against the wall parking the bus for 90 minutes but should it have been 8-0? No, probably not. You know, nobody wants to get beat that amount. And we've seen it in the men's game, you know, over the last week in England and up here. But for me now, Aberdeen have set a standard for themselves. They've set a bar that they have to go to these teams and they have to reduce the score lines because they've proved that they can do it. They just need to keep up over the course of the season. The Dons obviously lost a couple of influential figures after the end of, of last season, obviously with Kelly Forrest and, and Carrie Doig stepping away from, from the game. I mean, just how... How big a holes were there to to fill for for Gavin and Emma? I think the biggest thing that they'll miss with Kelly and Carrie leaving is the experience. You know, Aberdeen, anytime anyone speaks about Aberdeen, it's always about how they're a young team. And they are a young team, probably even younger this year than they were last year in that the five girls that they've brought in, two of which have kind of replaced Kelly and Carrie, are 15 and 16 years old. So they're a young team. So I think the experience is what they'll miss most with Kelly and Carrie. Cal- uh, Kelly started, I think, every game. She was fit last season, whereas Carrie, she was more of a fringe player last season. But for me, 
with them leaving, they've brought in Elena Kirkanen, who's um, Finnish, and she's 27. And while she's not played in Scotland yet, this is her first season playing um, playing in SWPL1. She's got experience with a Finnish international setup. I think she's capped at youth levels. She's played in the top flight in Finland. And having spoken to her out at Cormac Park, the way in she speaks, you know, she's clearly, you know, going to bring a lot on the pitch. But she said that she wants to be able to help these young players find themselves. She says she can remember what it's like to be 15, 16, try to settle into a team. She thinks that she can use her experience and try and kind of guide them through this tough time where you're maybe not playing as much or all these kind of things. So I think she's going to be a really good voice to have with Aberdeen that hopefully, you know, along with likes of Lauren Campbell, who, you know, is an Aberdeen kind of ever present. And now that she's captain with with those experienced voices that they have in the squad, Elena's a really good addition kind of in the in place of Kelly and Carey. You mentioned um, some of the kind of the young players there that they've brought in this summer. And obviously you've done a piece this week looking at a number of those who've uh, kind of stepped up into the breach. Um, do you feel uh, the future looks bright as far as as far as Aberdeen's women's side is concerned? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so the five that have come up is Annalisa McCann, Millie Ucker, Madison Finney, Brodie Greenwood and Maya Christie. And all of them have played so far other than Annalisa, which, you know, it's going to be difficult for her to break in the squad and kind of cement a place considering that she's a goalkeeper. And AJ really, you know, has kind of, ever since she came in last year, has, has been the number one choice um, and... After seeing her, you know, some of the saves that she pulled off against Glasgow City, she's quite rightfully got that place right now. Um, but they've all adapted really, really well. Um, for me, Maya, she she played most last season. I think she played three times over last season, but now they're all permanent kind of players within the squad. She already looks like she's played at this level for, for a season or so. Um, from what I noticed about her is she can read games, considering she's only 17 playing against Rangers, which would have only been like her fifth SWPL1 appearance, she kind of knew what to do, which, as we've touched on earlier, it's kind of no mean feat to be able to kind of cope against a team like Rangers. She didn't stop the whole time. She was running at any time the ball was in the final third, which wasn't very much. She was she knew kind of how to tire out the defence. She kind of broke the back line a couple of times, but then tracking back, she was defending. And I think i seen the highlights from Glasgow City at the weekend. She was doing the exact same there. So she knows how to read these games. Um, which is really, really impressive. And I think she's already scored this season. Um, I think she'll get, yeah, she'll definitely get some more. When I spoke to her, she says, you know, she is happy to get goals, but I think all these young players that just want to help out the team, they're really appreciative of the opportunity that they're getting to play at this level at such a young age. And then with Millie uh, with Millie and Maddie, they're, they're both in defence and I think they've kind of been swapped in and out for each other a couple of times this season, but they look really, really good as well. And they don't look out of place. Maddie's only 15 um, and she broke her ankle last year, so to come back and be playing at this level against like the Rangers, Glasgow City after the kind of year that she's had, it's it's really really impressive. And I think with them too, there's I think with all of them just playing in this team at, at such a young age is there's so much opportunity to improve and to develop. But for Millian and Madison to be playing at the back with the likes of Donna Patterson, who's who's 23 but has vast experience playing for Aberdeen and for 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 Farmington, and like we said about Lauren Campbell, you know. I'd, I can't really think of anyone better to learn from than Lauren. For me, Lauren was the best, Aberdeen's best player last season, um, but because she's just consistently good, she doesn't always get name-checked, maybe like the likes of Ailey Shore and Bailey Hutchison does. Um, and then kind of moving on to, to Brodie, she's the other. Uh, she's a midfielder who's been who's moved up from Aberdeen Ladies. I've not actually seen her play live yet, She but she played on the opening day of the season against Hamilton, and, and by all accounts, I think she had a 30-yard long-range strike that, that hit the bar and 
she just seems to make things tick in the midfield. So she's quite small. I think maybe physically she's not quite ready for regular football at this level. Um, but yeah, I think as, as time goes on, we'll, we'll definitely see more of them over at SWPL1. But I think for me, like Aberdeen are in such a unique situation in this league that they're the only team now north of Dundee. Uh, now Dundee United got promoted last season, but they have to rely on their youth players. They have to rely on a player pathway because they're not going to attract players up here because they, can't, you know, they're, they don't offer players contracts. There's only five at the club on semi-pro contracts as is. So players aren't going to move up here for nothing. They're not going to train travel up to Aberdeen, train three times a week for nothing. Um, so they have to rely on the system. And in that, they've produced, you know, cracking players. These five, Jess Brodrick, Billy Hutchison, Ailey Shore, you know, the list is endless. And it's it's a credit to what Aberdeen ladies and what Aberdeen women do um, working together. Absolutely. So hopefully we'll see more of these younger youngsters making an impact over the course of the season. And that'll do for part two of this week's episode of Northern Goal. In part three, we'll move on to Cove Rangers, Peterhead and Elgin City. Welcome to part three, the final throws of this week's episode of Northern Goal, and we'll move on to Cove Rangers, first of all, who have not had the best start to life in the championship, um, with four defeats on the bounce. They were beaten 2-1 by Queen's Park last weekend, in a much more impressive performance than, than previously against A United, but still ultimately didn't come away with anything from the game. Um, they take on Hamilton this weekend at the Balmoral Stadium. Cove kind of sitting near the bottom of the table with the other part-time team in the league, our broth. Um, Danny, do you think Cove finding the league as challenging as they have is maybe what we expected or is it a little bit of a surprise? Well, no, I, I think um, it was perhaps to be expected once um, when Paul Hartley moved on in the summer and there was a new manager coming in, then you were going into not just a period of transition in terms of you know bedding in a new manager but also you've got a, a group of players there who are going up against, you know, much tougher opposition than they've been up against in recent seasons. Um, so it was always going to be quite a big challenge. And I mean, it's easy to say, but had Paul Hartley still been there, then I would have probably expected maybe to have, you know, they've had that continuity that have maybe picked up more points perhaps. But, you know, Paul Hartley's left. Jim McIntyre's came in. He's got to take time to get to know his players get to know you know what you can expect of them what's required in terms of strengthening the squad as well and you know i think because of that slight upheaval in the summer it's you know it's probably manifested into you know a slightly slow start to the league but it was always going to be it was always going to be tough this season you are up against i mean there were there were you know some full time teams in league 1 that they've been up against but um you know they're up against tougher tougher teams this time around and even Queen's Park who they played last season, you know, they've invested a lot of money um and you know they they're only going one way. Um so it was yeah it's a, it's been a been a difficult start but I don't think there's you know cause for panic or alarm. I think um you know I think probably the, the, the transfer window closing might be might be a good thing and they can sort of teams can sort of start settling into a bit more of a bit more of a rhythm and I think once I think once you've gone around that first round of fixtures, you've played everyone, you get to suss the scene a bit more, um, then you know I would expect you know Cove to start picking up more points. But you know initially it was always going to be quite quite tricky. Do you think the squad still needs a, a wee bit more depth? I know they were only kind of a, again they were another team that was only able to name five substitutes at the weekend. And I think this they are without 
we're without four players, um, but maybe some some kind of more depth up front, maybe to to kind of help with Mitch Meganson because obviously he missed a game on on Saturday, or maybe another defender. I mean, does, do you feel there's areas that that maybe still needs need addressing? I think so. I think in, in attacks the the big one because you know very reliant on Mitch. Obviously, you know Rory McAllister's departed, and that's someone who would have scored, you know. 10 plus goals this season you would imagine even if if some of that's coming off the bench so yeah I think a, a striker would kind of you know ease take away that burden on Mitch a little bit because Mitch obviously shoulders quite a lot as as the captain and he does if you go to Cove game he does you know a huge amount of power at work um, in terms of closing down and you know defensively he puts in a shift as well but he also takes on that you know that goal scoring burden as well um, so he's you know such a hugely important player to Cove, and when they miss him, that's you know it's almost like missing two or three players in a way. Um, but but yeah, I think I think Jim McIntyre's made you know no secret that he's been trying to get players in. He's found it difficult to um, to recruit because of you know the club's location. Um, but yeah, I mean I think I think they would be they would be keen to try and get you know strengthen that squad as much as they can um, you know today and and beyond. One club who's uh, certainly been very active in the transfer market this summer is uh, Cove's neighbours up the road, Peterhead, who made their 17th summer signing uh, this week with the arrival of Egyptian youth international Ramiz Hefzala, who was uh, released by Millwall in the summer. It's certainly been a hefty rebuild for Jim McAnally after losing 14 players at the end of last season and three uh, key regulars in Hamish Ritchie, Andy McCarthy and Russell McLean to for long-term injuries, so he's effectively replaced them like for like. Sophie, what do you think are the are the challenges of kind of say making a, a huge kind of rebuild like this and bringing in so many players? Because we've seen it in the English Premier League this summer with Nottingham Forest, and I think they've got a, had a lot of attention drawn on them for the amount of players they've signed. But what what do you think are the big challenges in terms of bringing in this number of players in in one go? I think it. It was obviously needed with the amount of players that we lost and with injuries and whatever else at the start of the season. They needed to bring bodies in, but I think, you know, like Danny was kind of saying about Cove, the upheaval, it's, it lends itself to an unsettled squad and kind of then obviously with performances on the pitch, if your squad's not gel, they don't know each other. I think with Peter Head, it's obviously quite a unique situation in that they don't train together often. Um, they just train together once a week or whatever it is that... They're not maybe getting that time to, to kind of get to grips with one another. But it's difficult because, you know, obviously the, the chairman's came out and said this week what their situation is and kind of why. And they're as frustrated with it as everyone else is. But it is so tricky, isn't it, when you have to bring in all these players and, you know, because they're on short term deals, a lot of them, it's going to maybe be this again come January. You know, it's going to be the whole season where they're not really settling in, where they're not really getting into a rhythm, uh, a rhythm with one another. So... It is it's tough for Peter Hedge. I feel a wee bit for them because it seems to be the kind of this whole season. Even when they're bringing in players, it's the same old story that they're wanting more. They need to improve the squad. They need more depth, whatever it is. So, yeah, I, I just kind of I, I feel for them, and I, I don't really see kind of a kind of positive end point for them at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned obviously the the letter that kind of the chairman Roger Morrison kind of put out this week, and I spoke to him myself on Tuesday just for a kind of a wee bit of reaction as to why he felt it was necessary to put something like that out. And it seems to be that the all the, the kind of the criticism that has been referred to has kind of tended to come online rather than being in person. And I think we've all, all got our own thoughts on people that sit behind keyboards and make criticism rather than actually uh, 
going to games and speaking to speaking to the chairman himself. Um, but he said so. He certainly feels like he's hurting himself, and it's been a it's been a, a more difficult situation than maybe anyone at Peterhead could have anticipated. Um, and when results aren't going your way, it just kind of amplifies amplifies that noise, I suppose. Um, and they're at, they've got Montrose at home this weekend again. It couldn't. The kind of the challenges keep coming for them. I mean, Montrose are one of the most consistent sides in that division for a number of years now. So, um, Peterhead are they kind of they are kind of desperately in the need of in need of points sooner rather than later. I would I would say. Um, and another side that's maybe kind of not hit the straps yet uh, are Elgin in League Two. Um, Danny, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on how why it's maybe difficult for them to kind of get that get that consistency that they're after. I think they're another club that's you know struggled a, a little bit with recruitment. Again, that's the you know the location as well as a factor. Gavin Price has kind of said that, and you know Graham Tatters has acknowledged that as well. That you know it's it is more difficult to attract. There's, there's a lot more players based in the central belt, and and yeah, it's trying to trying to find that balance. And also, I guess clubs like Elgin and Peter Ed have the added competition from the Highland League, and you have Highland League. Um, clubs, you know, offering not just, you know, decent wages, but, you know, also there's not, not as much travel involved. And for some players that's, you know, more appealing that, you know, one that they, they might not be heading down to, you know, somewhere like Annan Athletic. Um, um, it's, you know, the, the traveling long distance isn't, isn't quite as much if you're someone that's based in, you know, Aberdeen or, or Murray or wherever. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think they've struggled in terms of um, recruitment, but, I mean, again, Elgin's a, a team that they've been indifferent, but there has been glimpses that, you know, they can put runs together that and they've obviously got, you know, attack-minded players like Kane Hester who can who can score goals. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, it, I mean, it's it's not been a great start to the season. And defensively, they've, you know, conceded more goals than they would have liked. Um, but I still think Gavin Price feels that he's got, you know, enough players there, enough to do something in the league. Um, but he's another one that we're keen to get um, get some more players in. But it's been, you know, been a challenge. I think Jim McAnally referenced it being the the, the the kind of toughest transfer market that he'd he'd seen, the toughest transfer window. And I think that'd be sentiment shared by you know quite a few managers. Absolutely, and it's Elgin are at home this weekend against Bonnie Rig Rose, who've uh, enjoyed a kind of decent start to the season in, in since being promoted to League Two. And that's it for today's episode of Northern Goal. Thanks to Danny and Sophie for joining me today. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. If you've enjoyed the episode, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And as always, you can email any feedback to northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. For any fans of the Highland League, and let's face it, why wouldn't you be? Uh, Don't forget to check out this week's episode of Highland League Weekly on the Presser Journal website as well as our weekend preview show, which will be out on Friday lunchtime. Take care and enjoy the football wherever you're watching it this week. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football rating and analysis in the North.